Hey everybody, welcome to Navigating Privateer Life. I'm Nathan. Today's podcast is about those races where everything went right, then it didn't. Last quarter crashes, being in second, and then something going completely terribly wrong. Uh, one of the names on here is Shanae's Reed. She crashed last in the 2008, on the last corner in the 2008 uh, Olympics in Beijing. You have Sam Hill in his incredible 2008 run. And then you have uh, Joseba Balaki. Balaki was running second place in the 2003 Tour de France behind Lance Armstrong when his tire got caught on some slippery melted tar. He goes down, snaps his leg, and just a heartbreaking, heartbreaking uh, crash for racing. Today I'm actually moving to Monterey, so I'm trying to get this out before I go, and uh, I'm excited to get out there, try some new trails. I'm pretty bummed. I have to, you know, commute back home on the weekends for about a month. Uh, while I get set up out there and get my family out there. But, you know, I'm going to try to do this podcast. Try. So I'll let you know if it doesn't happen. But I really enjoy this. So, without any more delay, let's get to this one. Heartbreaking crashes are something we all have to live with racing feeling great on top of your game racing in the lead only to have the front tire break loose or hit a jump just a little tilted all the effort and strength you put into the race the months of training years of experience the drive to get you to that moment all flashes through your mind in that second even though the crash is over in less than a second the world slows down. The ground takes its time as it grows larger. Words usually, oh shit, slip from your lips. The speed of a normal conversation. But the ground still creeps, slowly filling your vision. The moment you hit the ground, in a flash of red or black, the world jumps back to its normal rotation. The sound of grinding or smashing. Your bike twists and mangles as it slides on the ground. Whether you're still attached to your bike by some bodily contortion or not, you feel yourself grinding or smashing in a unique visceral moment as all your senses blend into one. After the physics is done with you, all that's left is dust and gravel. Adrenaline hides any injuries that might have been inflicted. As you start to gain your bearings, there are two reactions. Either you're injured, or you're in a panic to get back to racing. Sometimes, it's both. Back on the bike, or back in the pits, your mind rolls through a thousand possibilities. You rustle through all the things you could have done to avoid the crash. 
Was it that rock? Was my setup right? Was I too loose on the bike? Was I too tense? A picture of where it happened, etched into your brain like a special torture created just for you. The next stage of coping with your crash is to think of all the things that could have been. A trail of dreams that all got ruined because of one crash. All the way to the top. Maybe a sponsor was watching and I was going to get that factory team ride. That would have been my break to get to the Olympics. The worst thoughts of self-doubt come to your mind in the moments after a heartbreaking crash. The options after the onslaught of mental torture are simple. Keep racing. The options after the onslaught of a mental torture are simple. Keep racing. Or don't. Rival on the attack. He is rising to the occasion. The great cyclist he is. Just look who's on his wheel though. Yoshiba Belocki, Jan Ulrich, Ivan Basso, and the man who won the stage yesterday, Ivan Meyer. When it comes down to it, Armstrong has still got it. He knows how to control his challenges. His team captain, but Yoshiba Belocki sits on the wheel now of Lance Armstrong. Armstrong is still concerned as the you as the sorry as the the Star Spangled Banners flies on the left now. It's Vinukarov of Kazakhstan who races to the summit in pursuit. The yellow jersey of the tour. He'll take a daredevil descent right now and try and pull him back into the fold. 15 small seconds. Armstrong is behind Vinukarov and trying to bring this race back together. Unbelievable. Corners keeping the pace up to around about 40 miles an hour. Yoshiba Belocki hanging right onto his wheel there. Oh, and Belocki's near. Belocki's gone down. Armstrong's off the road as well. Armstrong, complete control there. He's into the field, but what a great bike rider. He's gone across. This is unbelievable. I've never seen this before. Armstrong went across the field there. He's in 2003, Lance Armstrong was in the middle of his dominance over the Tour de France, an era of exquisite racing powered by an unequaled complexity of doping programs. Joseba Balaki, a vast climber for the Anse team, was a face that was latched on the back of Armstrong. Cote de la Rochette, Armstrong would be attacked by his fiercest rivals over the top. Balaki would be right on his wheel. In the 2000 and 2001 Tour de France, Joseba Balaki would finish behind Armstrong and his closest rival, Jan Ulrich. With a doping charge in 2002, Ulrich wouldn't be racing, and Balaki went on to stand on the step just below Armstrong in Paris. 2003, however, there was a feeling of change that hadn't happened before. Lance's competition seemed to touch closer to him, and Joseba seemed to be one racer who could attack Lance in a way that would bring out any emotion at all. As I watched that tour as part of the Lance train, like everyone else at the time, I was a little scared of Balaki. He was strong, and he could attack on the climbs. Unlike most of the other climbers who attacked, then would get swallowed up by postal service, then spit out the back when Lance would move to set the pace, Balaki was always able to respond to the new pace, and sometimes even counter the attack. It made for beautiful racing. Then on the descent of La Rochette, it was tragedy. Balaki went down as he and Armstrong traded places, soaring down the descent. The heat of the summer had melted the tar on the asphalt, and Yoseba was unfortunate enough to hit a patch. His rear tire slid out at 40 miles an hour. 
and as the bike was in full tilt drift, the tire gripped, tearing it from the wheel. Blocky's bike swapped, then threw him into the road. The scream as he laid there with his teammates is a haunting memory etched into my brain. With the Alps coming to an end, the Pyrenees would be a few days later. A place where we would have seen Bilocki attack again. Knowing that Armstrong was the best time trial racer, he would have probably gapped Bilocki in the stage before the start of the Pyrenees climbs. But Bilocki was strong enough as a time trialer that it was the first time since I started watching cycling. I started riding road bikes in 2001. That I had ever felt a racer could have given Lance a run for first. The heartbreak was real. A true competitor that was taken away from the fray because of a crash and terrible circumstances. He broke his femur, his wrist, and his elbow in the crash, and was never able to truly recover to his former glory. A horrible return to cycling, marred with bad team contracts, and being implicating in a doping scandal that tore cycling to pieces. Bilocki took to a quiet retirement. Bilocki was part of some of the most exciting racing the Tour de France had ever seen. Fast, frantic, and often brutal attacks were common when watching the Lance era of racing. And it would be hard to forget the amazing racing that Bilocki offered cycling fans before his unfortunate crash. Steve still breathing, and here he is! Number one on his back, reigning world champion until this point! Sam Hill! Steve, oh, fast! You might see Steve Pete hold his breath now for three minutes and 14 seconds. Pete's got every right to be blue in the face, but there he is. Oh, he looks fast to me. Oh, he looks fast. Oh. Oh. He looks speeded up. The time will tell us the truth. Oh. Pete carried some speed through there. Sam Lowe. Oh, it's close to Sam's that. on the edge here, but... Oh, look at the time! Look at the time! 5.36 up for Samuel! Is he going to end P's dream again? It's going to be terrifying, this. Rob, how do I... Oh! How does Sam do it? How does he take can't even... five seconds? This is... This is unbelievable! But, but we did say that if it's technical, if it's going to be gnarly, if anybody can do it, there'll be streets ahead, unlike Fort William. Yeah, you can tear it apart here. I mean, this is opening him up. Unlike Andorra, this is, this is Sam's... This Perfect. is a true downhill, man. It's Hill looks unstoppable. You know, you could see a destruction here. That oh, he's took PD apart. 6.3. Oh, what a shame. And Steve was absolutely on fire there. There's no disrespect to Steve. This is Samuel at his best. He lifts his game for this. Look how fast he's going. Any of you boys out there. Oh, look how fast he's going. That are contemplating getting clipped. Oh. Don't bother. Don't bother getting clipped. Oh, he's gone ball. Don't even bother. Look Don't. at him sliding it through. The oh. Oh, oh, Pete, he's back. He's off. Sam Hill went down the he's front off. wash now. He pushed it's us too hard. Rob, Oh, high drama here in Italy. Oh, Ellie. my God. He it's washed her out. He washed her out. It's the world. P in with a real chance. The 2008 Downhill World Championships at Val de Sol were filled with a tense, thick air. The world was cheering for Steve Pete to finally make his first world championship. Val de Sol, being a true downhill course, steep, rough, and fast, was a perfect place for Steve to get this championship. For a minute, it did. 
Pete took the fastest lap and was sitting in the hot seat. And the world just felt right. An uneasiness sat in my chest as I watched it. Like a wrench making me squirm because the racer in the gate after him was Sam Hill, the flat-pedaled immortal. Who every racer at the time knew, if nothing went wrong, was the fastest racer in the world. As Sam Hill got out of the gate, he hit the first rock section with a speed that didn't seem set in reality. Right then... I knew we weren't going to see Petey win his championship. Then, as he rounded a tree for the first split, Sam was five seconds faster than Pete. When the first heartbreak set in, I sat back and wanted to see how fast Sam Hill could get through the race. At a blistering pace was the answer. He skipped through rock sections, pumped through corners. It was like brakes didn't exist. Listening to Rob Warner lose his mind the same way I was losing mine created an energy that reminded me how much I loved the sport. Then on the second to last turn, with a 10 second lead on Petey, a loose, wide, off-camber corner, Hill's wheels broke loose and he went sliding down the hill. He grabbed his bike, sprinted to the finish, and the timer stopped one second slower than Steve. A wave of emotion, heartbreak for Hill, elation for Pete, and the most exciting race ever to that point. A second heartbreak would happen five minutes later, as G. Atherton would set the fastest time, and Petey wouldn't win his long-sought-after championship that year. Away in the final now, Callisto on the far left-hand side, Reed on the inside, that's where she is, and she's dominating. They've already come down at the back of the pack, Shanae's Reed takes a nice lead, followed by Jill Gittner, sweeping her on the inside, and Callisto has gone down in the first turn. So Callisto down, she's now out of it, focus back on the head. It's now a battle for the goal, Reed and Kidner. Chanson now leading the Frenchman as she comes and heads for home. Round she comes the final bend. A gold medal in history. Oh! Can you believe it? It looks as though Reed is down and the Frenchman is going to take it through. So the Frenchwoman takes out a little bit of history here and an absolute boil over in the BMX final. Shanae's Reed was the favorite coming into the first ever BMX race in the Olympics. Reed was the reigning world champion for the two years. Reed was the reigning world champion that year. And in 2007, and a champion in dominant form. At the Beijing Olympics, some wild cards were in the mix, though. Some of the fastest mountain bike racers found themselves on the gate as well. One in particular who would be able to match Breed's power, and Caroline Chasson. Out of the gate, out of the gate, Reed would be side by side with Chasson, and the gap to the rest of the women would start to build. Reed led into the first corner. The Chasson would pull a textbook pass, diving under Reed, and into the second straight. Reed attacked the next few straights. The race became built around just Reed and Chasson as they gapped the rest of the field. Reed had worked her way to the side of AC into the last corner. Reed, nothing to lose, tried to straight line the corner and maneuver AC up the berm for a pass. But Chasson a multi-time four-cross and downhill world champion, had much more cornering speed than Reed anticipated. 
Reed clipped AC's back tire and went down in the final corner. The rest of the field swept past Reed. Reed sat on the berm, helmet face down on the asphalt, fists clenched, the true definition of heartbreak. These are just a few examples of racers at the top of the world, their game at the pinnacle of the sport, still suffering from the same disappointment and heartbreak we feel as amateurs. Nobody is above having the hard work and suffering they put in to a race taken away at the end. It's the worst pain of all. The reason I chose these three examples is they are all in different disciplines and the racers all had different outcomes their career. Bilaki would suffer for the rest of his career, which just faded a few years later. Reed would still be dominant force, but would have a mental block built into her psyche where the Olympics would elude her forever. Sam Hill would win another downhill world championship and become a legend in gravity racing, still being a force in the Enduro World Series. The biggest thing a privateer racer can take out of these heartbreaking moments is that everybody has them. It's part of racing. Don't let them define who you are. You race because you love the competition. And in racing, crashes are part of the thrill. You have to embrace them, even if they are on the final corner of the biggest race of your life. I had a downhill race on my local trails. And I had just come off with a win in my class at the Fontana National, so I felt I was in perfect position to win the state championship. I don't even know how I fell, but I went over the bars and found myself down a ravine. I ran back up to my bike and pedaled my way to third. It was crap, especially because to this day I can't figure out what I crashed on. There's nothing there to crash on. I knew my form was on point. And there'd be more races that year. And race I did. If I let one race get to me, out of prestige and pride of being a fast local, I wouldn't have killed it later in the season. Enjoy your bike. Remember, we wear helmets because crashes happen. And we don't get to choose when. So today's privateer tip, I'd say make a jersey. There are a lot of companies out there who will do custom printed jerseys. You can find someone who will, you know, heat press something onto your jersey. But get something that's yours. Even if it's just one, even if it's just for race day, make sure you get something that is yours. I remember a while back, I saw a racer in the semi-pros, and he just wore straight, bright orange. Nothing on him. No other, I mean, nothing. Just bright, bright orange. And you see him every race, and he did okay. Like, he was out there in fifth or sixth every race definitely really fast but the next year that bright orange worked he was riding for the Cannondale team so make something that stands out 
especially if you are really serious and you're trying to get a solid sponsorship. Um, and if you have a custom jersey for yourself, that means you could tell sponsors that you can make a custom jersey for them. Something to add in to a package, especially for you local racers going to your local bar, local grill, you know, uh, local businesses, local bike shops, being able to build your own jersey for them, have their name plastered all over it. There's a huge professionalism there. You're not just asking for money. You're being an advertiser for them. That is a huge thing. Too many people today just want stuff. They're afraid to go to a local place for a sponsorship. They think that they deserve everything. But if you're racing a full season and say your local bar and grill pays for those entry fees, they're paying five, six hundred dollars. And if you have someone who can screen print for you. Spend the 50 bucks. Get the name on the jersey. They're pumped. Like They're getting really cheap advertising. That's the beauty of sponsorships. Is it is really cheap advertising. You're going to talk them up. You're going to wear their jersey. You're in a very select crowd. And don't forget to tell them this. You're in a very select crowd of people that when someone's outside of the sport goes in, we flock. We flock to those places. We love places that support our racing. So go to Riders Ready, you know, BMX. Like They have templates. They could let you mess around with it. Jackaroo uh, for stuff. They are am- amazing. I get uh, the Navigating a Privateer Life jersey all printed there. Um, you give them the logos you want. They come back to you, uh, you know, a few days later with a full mock-up, and the quality's good. So, all honesty. If you are a privateer racer and you really want to do it to have sponsors, you need to have your own jersey. Make it obnoxious if you don't have any sponsors so that people will see you. Because being seen is hardest. Don't. It doesn't matter what other racers think of you. You are on your own path. And generally that path isn't taking another kid with you with a sponsorship. You got to do it on your own. So look silly. But look silly with a purpose. To get those eyes. In reality, eyes are what sell. Everything they do, everything you do, 
should be to get attention. Now, if you're winning races, you're getting attention. If you get a little flashy, you get attention. There's no right or wrong way to get that attention. Some teams you get on will want you to not be so flashy and to just win races. That's fine. But if you're a privateer and you're solo, you need to do whatever it takes to get those eyes on you. And then be able to take all the people who follow you on Instagram and things like that. You want them to follow the company that you're representing. And there's no better way to do that than a jersey. If you could, go online, find a jersey mock-up or... Some uh, or a program, a design program that will allow you to start designing your own jerseys. If you go to a company, local sports bar or you know bike shop or something with a mocked-up jersey that is yours, that is you. It'll be huge. It'll show professionalism, seriousness. So, it's easier now than ever to get a custom jersey done. Go do it. You'll feel special. You'll make sponsors feel special. And you'll be a step up against the ever-growing monstrosity that is cycling and will help you stand out amongst a crowd of people all wearing Troy Lee design thanks for listening guys I do appreciate it I guess then I'm moving so I'm going to try to get out and uh, do more but I will be super busy I want to thank all you guys a lot for listening uh, I, I really enjoy doing this podcast I love talking about racing uh, speaking of racing there are some really really awesome races this week um, Kate Courtney went to take the win again her first World Cup win uh, obviously she won the World Championship last year but shout out to her winning the opener the World Cup opener and uh, Tour of California I haven't finished watching it I got them all on my NBC Gold, but uh, you know, I always love watching the best in the world race through California. I did see uh, Sagan going for the win. That guy is so strong. If you, if you guys aren't fans of road cycling, go to his uh, YouTube channel and he was a junior world champion once and just the most incredible road cyclist there is and a traditional road cyclist he's not one of the guys who sits in and just trains for the Tour de France you know Lance set that up made people realize that that's the most important one but Peter Sagan kind of did the opposite where he's showing that being a personality 
and winning races in style is just as awesome as just winning the Tour de France. Make sure you go watch the EWS Enduro World Series uh, recap on YouTube. They always do a really good job, and uh, Maze, what an animal. I mean, just dominated against the best. So go check that out. Um, Gotta love that. So I still want to hear all you guys' stories. Send them in. Um, get you on the podcast. We need more. Uh, I like stories. I like listening to stories. I like telling stories. And I think everybody has a unique story to tell. I think next week, because I can um, take a little less research, I'll tell one of my stories about how I fell out of my pants in the middle of a, a downhill. So that that's fun. Make sure you uh, subscribe on iTunes or Google or whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Email me your stories at Nathan at FreebooterRacing.com so we can get those up. I really want to start feeling that. I really want to start talking to you guys, telling your stories. I love it. Go to Freebooter Racing. Um, we're getting it set up, doing some. You got some bikes there, some packages that will get you racing. I think the special is still the track bike and the BMX bike, so you can get out there and really, uh, really suffer. You know, sprinting's hard. We all love it. We don't love it. Just, but God, it makes you fast. Uh, go check out our Patreon page. Uh, if you sign up, you get 10% discount, 25% discount, or you have a package there where, you know, 50 bucks a month, you can pay for this package, and we will throw in, you know, things that I find interesting as I dig through the wonderful, wonderful wholesale account stuff. Goos, different uh, T-shirts, Bike parts, grips, all cool stuff. Stuff that I uh, I find interesting, and I'll reach out to you guys, and we'll figure out you know what kind of riding you do the most of, so I can kind of gear it towards you. Gotta love that stuff. I, I probably one of my favorite things is to go and look at parts. Having access to bike shops and or the bike warehouses and stuff is probably one of the most awesome things as a cycling enthusiast you could just possibly have. So keep it cool with that. Alright guys, so, like I said, I'm moving, and uh, while I am, you guys make sure you have fun out there. Alright, we'll see you next time.